0: you're listening to the wax pack hero sports card minute a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting i'm your host mike summer and i want to help you buy sell and trade your way into a collection you'll love welcome back to another episode of the wax pack hero sports card minute Today we've got a very special episode. It's going to be a little bit longer than a minute, but this week I sat down with Ryan from Sports Card Radio, otherwise known as Sports Card News on Twitter, and we talked for about an hour and a half, and we split it up into two different podcasts, him asking me some questions, and then here today for you, I've got some of the questions that I asked him. I think you're going to enjoy it. We talked about uh, his origins as a entrepreneur we talked about what he learned from his failed attempt at running a card shop as well as spending a little bit of time about the decision that he made to turn into a heel character and become an antagonist that he's probably known as most um, today in the hobby community so I think you're gonna enjoy it buckle up it's about 35 to 40 minutes um, but I think you're gonna have a lot of fun listening along and, and maybe even learn something along the way you know, speaking of, of Gary V and the entrepreneurial piece, you know, I, I was curious for you. You know, you have you talk about on your show all the time about how you have started some of your own businesses, your ticket sales, your the different websites that you're a part of. I was kind of curious from that entrepreneurial perspective, you know, where that drive came from for you.
1: Wow. Uh probably just very very early on uh my brother and i were were my brother and i are twins and we this we grew up in an age where sports card shops were very popular a little bit uh definitely much before the internet and we started working and sorting cards in a sports card shop when we were in seventh grade i think so At about that time, I probably stopped thinking about cards from a collector level and getting my Nick Van exel and my Anthony Peeler cards and my Magic Johnson cards and my Will Clark cards. I probably stopped thinking about that so much. And then when I when I could probably speak for my brother, when we started working at a baseball card shop and making Lord knows what we made. It was probably like three dollars an hour. I don't even remember what it was, but we saw the business side of the hobby shop the guy who ran the shop was not really a card guy he was more of a business guy and i think he i think the story goes is he bought the card shop because his regular job was so stressful it was going to give him a heart attack and he was going to die and it was a very nice shop, very nice shop. But uh, one of the interesting things is, is that there was a 9 millimeter handgun in plain view. Um, wow. He, he was robbed at, at gunpoint at one point when we weren't in there, thankfully. But he was robbed at gunpoint one time. And I think they took some cards and some jersey. But the, the shop was around uh, Stockton for many, many years. Probably like 10 or 15 years. And we, again, we started working there when it changed ownerships. Um, around seventh grade and we worked there all the way into college so I think Colin and I probably stopped and kind of got that entrepreneurial spirit especially with sports cards at a very early age because we we stood behind the counter and saw the interactions saw how much money he made every day saw the whole sale prices on products and saw the people coming in and trying to flip stuff, had to go in the back when certain people would come in because Lord knows what shady stuff was going on. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, a a lot of times back in those days, you would front money. A whale would come in and you'd front money to the guy. Uh, You know, he didn't have it that particular day or whatever, but he wanted to get his fix opening card, so, you you know, you'd sell it to him. You'd deal with the regulars. Uh, One particular regular, this guy's just an all-time classic. His wife... Won the lottery. She hit like a two-point dollars jackpot. So in the 90s, this was just a huge amount of money. Wow. Went a long way in Stockton, that's for sure. So, But the joke around the shop was is that she wasn't very pretty. So this guy was kind of like a a gold digger just on the male sense. But So he had a card addiction, and I think he had a few other addictions as well. But I remember he came in, and at the time, like, SP Legendary Cuts was like one of the most expensive products you could buy. And he hit... A Honus Wagner cut autograph which at the time was like unheard of they even wrote about the card in Beckett and I remember he bought the boxes left the shop He oh, he had a big SUV and he liked to open his cards in there But he came back in he he handed me the card He's like hey, you think this is any good put this in a card holder for me and I was like <laughs> I was like shaking kind of put it in cuz I knew I was like probably worth like a lot of money and he ended up being I think he ended up being in Beckett somewhere that that article uh, so so, for me, you know, starting the entrepreneurial spirit with cards, it started way back when, when we actually went behind the counter at an early age. And yes, throughout the years, we bought cards and collected cards in a sense, but um, it became more of a business for us, or we saw the business side of it, uh, you know, at a much earlier age, I guess, than, than most people.
0: Sure. So you guys have talked, too, about how you then at some point um, owned a shop and that due to the economy and things, it didn't end up working out. But since then, you guys or you have launched, you know, other ventures that have have worked out. You know, are there are things that you have that you tried along the way or what did you learn from that the experience of owning the shop that influenced what's worked and what hasn't worked since then for you?
1: Man, I think, well, you know, we opened the shop and, um, we were just, I, I, I was too young. I was not an experienced operator. You're essentially, when you open a, a, a shop like that, you're, you're buying a job and mm-hmm. you're, unless you're paying somebody there and you have that type of revenue, which we didn't, you've got to be there every day and you're the operator right. and you're the go-to guy and you're the hustler. And I think one of the things we quickly learned was you know neither my brother and I are that guy. We don't have a regularly scheduled podcast, for instance sure, you know, sure, right sure. the the content on the website uh, at least now doesn't it's it's sporadic it could it could be months before anything gets put on the website. So I think that's one of the things my brother and I learned so we we and you have to make, learn how to cut your losses and, and know when you're beat. I think sometimes sure. people in business they don't they don't want to quit or they don't want to look stupid for their family or their friends or what have you. whereas I think my brother and I just were like, well, this didn't work. Take right. you know, eat it. Take. I know we. I know the the story goes that we occasionally tell is I went and got a job, and I would come on the weekends to visit my brother who lived about an hour away. And I would tell him, find us a way to sit on our and make money. And that's what I told him. And yep. we were both, I think I was making a little money at the time. And I think I was telling him, don't get a job. Don't do anything, but find us a way to sit on our and make money. Cause I sure as didn't want to work 50 hours a week. I was making decent money at the time working, uh, hiring nurses for home care. And, okay. but I hated it. And mm-hmm. I was really good at it. I was really good at it, but I hated it. And I could have made, I could be making, Lord knows what I could be making right now if I stayed in that per- particular business. Cause I was really good at it, uh, very quickly, but I hated it. And I didn't want to work that t- again. My brother and I didn't like sitting around in a hobby shop full time, I sure as f- don't want to be sitting around in somebody's office for 50 hours a week, right? So, right. again, that's a, just another learning experience that, and th- I think that's why I would come down on the weekends and look at my brother and be like, yo, find us a way we can sit on and f- make money. So he came back to me uh, like weeks later. And showed me a chart of the stock market, which had promptly crashed to like 6,000. I think the Dow's close to 30,000 now. Well, he showed me a chart where it was at 6,000. And I was like, Mm. oh, that's interesting. Because we had a little bit of money at that time where we could have invested. And everybody was selling stock at that point. I mean, it was like, you know, the fire sale after the sports card crash. I mean, people were giving stocks away at that point. I mean, I remember some of the stock prices. At that point, it was just absolutely insane. And the other thing he came to me was uh, we need to set up a website and get into affiliate marketing. And so, okay. And so he was telling me all these ideas, uh, one of which was create some job websites. The economy had crashed and everybody needed jobs. So we were going to set up these job websites because I believe at the time, uh, I uh, it wasn't Indeed. It wasn't Monster. It was one of them that were paying a dollar. Snag a job was paying a dollar for every person that you got to apply for a job. That was it. That's all you had to do. You had to get somebody to apply for a job and you got a dollar from snag a job. So it's like, cool, let's set up let's set up some websites and get everybody needs a. Everybody's trying to get a job right now. Let's try to get people to sign up for jobs. That was our, that was kind of uh that was kind of our first foray into websites on the side. He told my brother told me, Hey, I set up this sports card podcast. And I was like, you did what? Like we had just failed it. We just, you know, failed at a a sports card. I said, you did what? He said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do a sports card podcast. And I was just like, Oh, you know, Oh, whatever. Like, okay. I just laughed it off. And I think for about maybe over a year, He was doing the sports card podcast, putting a a little bit of content on the sports card radio website without me having any involvement. I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. Like we're going to make money getting people signing up for jobs. Like we're going to have a real website. So we're still flat broke living together and lo and behold, Michael Phelps, the swimmer, is really popular at this time. So this is how far back this goes. Like this is when he first sure. became popular. I don't remember when this was, but this was like when he first like busted on the scene and his okay. autographs were in Allen and Ginter, Tops Allen and Ginter. And they were, they were really expensive. They were worth a lot of money, like several hundred dollars. And Colin put up an eBay affiliate link on Sports Card Radio about... Michael Phelps or something. And somebody clicked on it and bought a Michael Phelps autograph. And my brother got like $170 for that. Which at the time was a lot of money. Like I cannot stress that enough. Like that was a lot of money to us. And I looked at him and I said, what just happened? And so he kind of explains it to me and I'm like, well, wait a sec. Let's, let's start putting up sports card stuff. So that started, this is probably in about 2009. This is how far this was, this was about 11, 12 years ago. I started sitting around our apartments. My brother had a job and I would put up sports card content and specifically checklists because people, people don't understand today, today you can actually get a checklist for a product when it comes Mm -hmm. out. Maybe it takes a week later. Maybe it's the day of, but it comes out. 11 years ago, the checklist, one, may never exist. Or two, it may be months later that Beckett would put it in their database. So my brother, my, my brother and I were sitting there talking like, why don't we put the checklist up when the product comes out? When people are interested in it and it's hot. Like, let's do that. Sure. And so we started doing that. Um and that led into thousands upon thousands of posts people probably don't realize there are 2500 posts just on Sports Card Radio. There are blogs we don't even post on that were sending backlinks to Sports Card Radio that have hundreds upon hundreds of posts, probably dozens of blogs that people don't even know about back in 2010, 11, 12, 13 that we would post content on. My brother were my brother and I were posting you know, hundreds of pieces of content per month. And this was all kind of before social media. So we would, sure. you know, we were ranking in Google for stuff. People were searching Google for sports card content. We we didn't have a huge Facebook following or a social media following or anything like that. This was all just, uh, and and the sports card community was a little bit smaller than it was then. So it became kind of known, hey, when a new product comes out, you know, sports card radio, gonna have the checklist and eventually other you know other websites saw that that became a that became a very lucrative thing for my brother and I sure you know we 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 don't we never made money selling the cards but we made a a whole lot of money um, writing about the cards and and creating the, the checklist for the cards so
0: it's kind of the kind of the Gary V content model before there was a Gary V content model
1: When I listen to Gary Vee, I'm like, wow, he's exactly right. Because that's what my brother and I did. He wants to push it. to Now you have social media, so you have all these other outlets where you could, uh, you know, essentially create a piece of content, like a short video on Instagram, uh, five tweets on Twitter, uh, three posts on, you know, Facebook, a Facebook live video. There wasn't, back in when, you know, my brother were doing it 2009, 2010, 2011, there wasn't You know, obviously these places existed, but they're not nearly as uh, popular as they are today. So yeah, when I listen to Gary Vee, I'm like, yeah, he's exactly right. People should be doing exactly what he says, because it works. I mean, my brother and I were making up to $10,000 a month on this site for years, for years, mostly through the eBay affiliate uh, network. It's changed drastically. It's certainly not as easy as it was. That was the absolute gold rush back in 2010, 11, 12, up and I can't remember when they changed it. I think it was like 2015 or, I can't remember, 2014. I don't remember the the when they changed it to where they basically cut your, your pay uh, by 90%. But there was a time where if you could just get decent traffic to your website, get Two to three hundred eBay clicks. I mean, where do people buy sports cards? eBay, right? Especially back then. We're starting yeah. to see other markets. You mentioned sports lots. We got Check Out My Cards become a major player. There are other, you know, avenues to buy buy and sell sports cards. But even back, you know, back 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, eBay was the place. You know and if you were giving this really detailed information here is a checklist for this high-end product and this website is the only one that has it right so and we kind of caught it right before group breaks became popular and then kind of when group breaks became popular ebay cut their payout people consume checklists differently people are consuming products differently there are far more websites um a mike smith at cardboard connection took to kind of putting checklist content out um kind of to another kind of to another level he had a full staff for this whole time that that my brother and i you know made all this money on sports card radio it's literally being me and him sure and i think for a while we paid a dude in the philippines who was doing a lot of work for my brother's website. And we, he would do some work for sports card radio, but that guy was, we, that guy was literally making like $3 an hour. So all the work that's on sports card radio is literally my brother and I, and then once eBay, once eBay cut the payout, they gave us, I think they even gave us another year on the regular payout because they felt kind of bad about it. They knew how bad they were screwing people. So they kind of kept the old pad around, for but once that happened, that's when my brother and I knew, oh, this is, this is over. You know, the glory days are over. It's time to time to move on. But the, the same thing happens. You know, we open a store, we had to close the store. I was really successful at hiring nurses. Then I wanted to quit. We had a sports card website. It was widely successful. Oh, sh- eBay cuts the payout. Now we got to change. So there's all these types of things that happen. And You know, we don't. We're not going to sit around and cry about it. It's like, okay, well, eBay's cutting the payout. Cool. I think my brother had already set up another six or seven websites. I had set up in 2012 a Beanie Babies website that I didn't think would make any money. Sure. You know, we were just throwing some things at the wall at that point. And you know, again, the same model: putting out content, putting out content, putting out content. That works.
0: And didn't that didn't that lead to you being like on wallstreetjournal.com for the Beanie Baby website? I get or called. Like
1: that? I get called at least once or twice a month from somebody, some press person, usually kind of a smaller organization. But yeah, the Wall Street Journal sent me a message one day. And they wanted to write an article and I could not like get back to them fast enough. And so I remember I was right. in Ve- Vegas, had a 30 minute conversation with her. And then it takes several weeks. You've probably done some like media stuff. It takes several weeks for them to write that thing. So you're like, well, am I even going to be in it? Is it even going to be printed? Da, 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 And then sure enough, she sends me a link to it. And I'm just like, oh, f- we had a 45 minute conversation. I'm saying F, you know, we had like a real yeah. conversation, me and this woman. And then I read the article and it was like, oh, she like, just like teed me up perfect. Like made me seem like hella smart. And I was like, oh, I wrote her back. I was <laughs> like, thank you. I was like, woo. I was like, I'm going to use this one. So yeah, I was in the Wall Street Journal. I've had people, I, yeah, I have people call me all the time, usually to just clarify about Beanie Babies. Uh, it can be a little confusing. Uh, kind of like baseball cards searching online for information, sure. k- kind of confusing about values and what's what and what's valuable, what's not, what's fake, what's not. And so people come to me um, usually through Facebook or they come through me on my website and contact me. So yeah, the Beanie Babies website is is really just, it's a lot of fun. I should, I should do like a Beanie Babies podcast and just do all this. Like I have a very large, I have about a 15,000 uh, member Facebook group that is, you know, if people think I troll people in the sports card community. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes I'm really, really bad to the Beanie Baby community because uh, I'll give the sports card community a little credit. The IQ level in the sports card community is so much higher, as you can imagine, than the people uh, buying and trading and wanting to sell their Beanie Babies. It's just uh, it's pretty astonishing, actually.
0: Well, you talked about adapting and, and kind of, getting a read for what's going on and then kind of adapting to it and so i guess one of the other things i was wondering about is when when you guys first started sports card radio it seemed that the focus was more on just pure information we're going to get that information out there and then at some point it was almost like there was a decision made to hey let's not just let's not just crank out information, but let's start to take on a, a personality or a character. And you guys took on kind of that heel character, you know, in, in wrestling terms, sure. right? That you're, right. you guys take on that character of the heel, the antagonist, the the person's turn up trouble. Um, my impression is it's a character that you're playing, but I don't know that everybody always picks up on that. Can you talk a little about like how you made that decision to to kind of pivot into kind of that character role?
1: You know, that's I don't I don't I can't pinpoint exactly when it happened. I know it could actually even tie in with some of the eBay. The, I, my brother and I have always sat around, even when the site did really well and it was our main source of income. We still sat around and would like. Wouldn't it be great if this site, if we didn't give a f- about this site, and we could do whatever we want? And and kind of how we, how how we first envisioned the site was that it would be like an entertainment site. It, it, it there was a a poker website, Poker Road Radio, and they would they would uh-huh. go on the poker tournaments and they'd. They'd interview these people and they had this great podcast that was super funny. They weren't sitting there analyzing hands and like going over poker terminology or anything. No, they were talking about strip clubs in Vegas and kind of thing. And so we started the sports card radio kind of like, well, maybe, you know, cards kind of fun like that, you know, maybe go to a, a card show and, and do videos and interview people and have a radio show and kind of make it fun. It then it morphed into, oh crap. If you just put up checklist, you could make tens of thousands of dollars a month. So it morphed right. into that for several years. And then I would say there was a point where that became competitive with other websites, with people who, you know, saw that saw that the sports card information became valuable. And there right. was a point in time where Topps released a checklist for a product. And usually I would just go to Topps' website then they'd have the checklist on their website and I would go copy and paste it and put it and format it on my website. That was it. But there were two or three other website cardboard connection, uh, uh sports collectors digest or something. A couple other websites got this checklist and I'm like, where are they getting this checklist? This was about 2012 or 2013 probably at the very almost height of sports card radio. So I emailed, I remember I was in Montana for a Pearl Jam concert. I emailed Mark Sapir who was working at Topps. I said, I said, uh, you know, where, where's this checklist? How can I get this checklist? And he, he said, oh, I'll give it to you. If you promise not to say anything negative about Topps on Twitter, we will work out some kind of deal. And I remember we had a phone conversation where this he was basically explaining, okay, Cardboard Connection, Sports Card Collectors Digest, they're going to get these checklists, and they've promised not to say anything negative about Tops, especially on Twitter. That was almost verbatim what he said. He said, do not, wow. do not say anything negative about Tops. Especially, uh, he said, do not say anything negative about Tops, especially on Twitter, or I'll cut you off for good. And so I remember ending mm. the conversation not telling him whether or not I wanted that deal. And so I remember calling my brother and being like, what the f-? And I think we both were like, we, we sat on it for a little bit and we were like, F him. F- those checklists. F- everybody. Okay. Right? So... And I think it was probably at that moment, and then that, le- that moment led to a couple months later, I was sitting at the industry summit when I was allowed to go there, and Topps was giving this long, four-hour, boring just presentation at the industry summit, and I was sitting on Twitter, which was not nearly as popular as it is now, and just destroying Topps on Twitter much more than i would do even today and i could see just sitting 20 feet away mark Sapir, the head of tops at that point sports division sitting there reading every single word that i wrote and sure enough after this four hour presentation he comes up to me his hands are shaking he's all nervous he said you don't want to do a deal with me you don't you you don't you, you, you don't want to work with Tops? And I looked him dead in the face and was like, my brother and I built a six-figure website without the help of anyone in this f***ing room. No, I don't want your help. Get the f*** out of mm-hmm. my face. So I think that was probably the emphasis of when we started kind of turning like the WWE heel style is when we got kind of rebuffed from Tops or when Tops basically wanted us to kind of censor us in some kind of way and we were like screw that screw your checklist Mm -hmm. screw 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 all that we're going to do what we want over here and uh you know it was a blessing in disguise in disguise that shortly after that ebay probably changed the payout and and the the website sports card radio didn't become wasn't lucrative anymore So we really weren't going to work on it. And then once that happened, once it's not a main source of income for us, we literally can say whatever we want about anyone we want. And, you know, with all this trimming stuff that's come out and some of the shady characters in the hobby, I think I looked on my website the other day, there were like, I had pictures of 19 different trimmers, sports card trimmers, different dealers. And when I think about how small this hobby actually really is. It's actually still a real small hobby. For there to be 19 guys cutting up cards, I don't feel guilty about anything we've said. I don't feel guilty about anything my brother said or anything that we've done. If anything, I wish I could push the envelope more uh, than we do. And maybe maybe we'll mm-hmm. do that on in the future, but this is actually fun. The heel roll is fun. Like when my brother and I have conversations about cards, we're dying laughing, like dying laughing at the reaction to some of the things that we do, whether it's on Facebook or on the website or things, you know, lawsuits that we've said, I think we got threatened to sued four different times just last year, four different times. So, but all that stuff is just funny for us. And and when it happens in the moment, it's just, you know, in some ways it connects me and my brother. It, 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 uh, those are some of the the best times that me and my brother have is when we're sitting there just dying, laughing over somebody threatening to sue us or somebody getting mad over a Rolex picture or a car picture or anything like that. Those are just like hysterical fun moments for us. But we like, if you can't tell, like I relish that role that heel role like i relish that role and couldn't see a scenario to like you know how in wrestling like they're a heel for a while and then they like flip back for a while and the crowds on their side like to get us to go back especially now cards are so hot and popular and things have like gone so well and we're not we didn't like go back like i don't know what it would take to like go back to you know putting up content and it was yeah for there was a long time where sports card was really safe safe. You know, we did, And and we didn't have the, the depth of knowledge at that point to be talking about sports card trimmers, some of the controversies, some of the shadiness that happens. That's hard to do. If you've been out of the hobby for 15 years and then you come back and you want to start a blog and you want to start a podcast, it's hard to like, Can dive into the trimming stuff and the scandals because it's hard to wrap your head around that stuff. It's hard for me, who's been in this game for so long, to wrap my head around some of this stuff. So, I think to be a heel and to turn heel, it takes a long time. And so, my brother and I have just had the website going since 2009. That's a long time in in kind of the, the website world. There are not very many sports card websites. You know still around from from 2009 that that are putting out content so
0: i i find it interesting in that so i returned to the hobby in 2015 and i started to say hey, what podcasts are out there and all of that type of thing and and so i found the show after that point and i know early on the first few episodes that i listened to i was like who are these clowns like what in the world <laughs> What are these guys talking about? But I listened and I would hear you talk about COMC and some strategies on COMC. And inner in intermixed with all of the ridiculousness, were some really good nuggets of information. I was like, I need to keep listening to what's going on here. And One of the things that I personally have picked up on is that even though you are you are relishing in that heel role, you are still intermixing in some valuable information that it can be helpful to people if they can look past the ridiculousness. Right. If if they can look past some of that stuff. And so, you know, whether it's exploring Com C or for me, um, you talked about, hey, guys, start making content, make your own website and figure it out as you go. And that was one of the inspirations of me starting the Wax Pack Hero. I was 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 digging through that, and so I always find it interesting that in the midst of all of that, if you can see below the, that layer of 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 silliness, sometimes that there's still a lot of value that you're contributing. You know, even though you're trying to be antagonistic, I think it seems like there's a piece of you that is still trying to give back or add value to the the community.
1: Sure. I mean, yeah, we talked about Gary V. He does that, you know, almost in, in abundance on his podcast and giving advice and try this, try this, try TikTok, try, you know, do this, do hundred, how many pieces of content are you doing today? Quit your job. You know, he has all these kind of, you know, advice and stuff, but yeah, I think that's just, my brother and I, I know that's certainly my nature. Like people come up to me all the time and you know, Oh, what about your baby website or how do I make money selling sports tickets? And I'll be like, well, here I'll let's have lunch for 10 minutes. and I'll tell you exactly how to do it. <laughs> I mean, sure. like, sure. there's a friend that I have who has a, a full-time job. He sells tickets at a local college. He has two kids. He has a wife who's honest. <laughs> he has a, two mortgages cause he has like a rental property, no website experience. He's coming to me and he's like, you know how do I do this?" And so we would go to lunch maybe once a month or maybe twice a month and I kind of walked him through some things and he's obviously talented on his own and he's built a, a running website. I think the website domain is how to train for a 5k.com. And he's built this thing makes like 32 to 3,500 a month, mostly through the Amazon affiliate selling socks because r- runners, they need special types of socks when they run uh, for blisters and stuff like that. This guy literally texts me every month to thank me, leaves me tickets at UOP games, so, so that, you know, cause he, this is like three thousand dollars. And his wife thought he thought he was crazy when he when he's doing all this stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. Here. And I would show them, I show them, oh, here's my Beanie Babies website. Here's how many people come to it. Here's how much money I make. Here's how often I have to work on it. Here's my baseball card website. Here's what it used to make money. Da-da-da. You know, I'll walk, I don't have any problem walking through people. Hey, this is how it's done. Cause at the end of the day, it's all about executing. I could tell people mm-hmm. post five pieces of baseball card content every day for the next two years, and you're going to have a site that's going to make money every day. You're going to have a site that probably makes 500 to to $1,000 a month. Easy. Easy. Post five to pieces of content on anything that you're interested in. Right. And, and it could become profitable. So I'm always like, I I love to, to share that because it's worked for me. It's, you know, that type of, that, that it's, it's worked for me. Trial and error, doing things, opening a shop, failing. I I failed at a card shop and thought, man, I would never do that again. In the last year or so, I'm seeing how popular sports cards have become. I'm seeing that on Amazon to sell certain products. You've got to have a brick and mortar store. And I'm like, wow, what if I just had some really, you know, the store doesn't have to be much, but gosh, it would open up all these doors on the Amazon, all these other channels. So I've started to think, you know, in in different ways, trial and error, trying things, failing, but always sharing that information. Yeah, the podcast is definitely sure. the podcast is definitely silly. I think it's one one thing we're just trying to be different, too. Uh huh. You know, as well. I think at the, at the time, uh, cardboard connection was putting out a you know a lot of content. They stole our idea on the on the checklist they were kind of copying that idea he hired a couple people to do you know bring in the radio show so we were just trying to do something totally different a lot of times from other people well how do you be different Mm -hmm. you know say stupid Mm -hmm. things you know call people out Mm -hmm. uh, uh, (laughs) show off watches and cars and just do like really stupid things and stuff a lot of times it's just to make honestly it's just to make me and my brother laugh at, at each other and just kind of the conversations that we have kind of Uh, offline we just it's funny for us it's fun too it's really like a lot Mm -hmm. of fun for us too but and sharing that information you know that is being a heel but also like you said giving back sharing that information sharing what works because i've seen how much it works for me well there you
0: have it thanks ryan i really enjoyed getting a chance to get together and, and chat a little bit I hope you guys enjoyed this as well and maybe saw a little different side of Ryan than you're otherwise used to if you follow him on Twitter. If you don't follow him on Twitter, check it out, and you can see some of the, the character that he puts on at Sports Card News. You can follow me at the Mike Summer. Check out WaxPackHero.com for more great content, And please take a second to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. Other than that, I will catch you next time.